This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. We're going through the book of Philippians, and we are in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, and we are talking about uh, the, the Apostle Paul writing to a group of Romans, uh, or yeah, a group of Romans, but they were located in Greece, uh, that was modern day Macedonia, and, uh, and so who's writing the book of Philippians? The Apostle Paul, someone who had eyewitness account with Jesus. And then who's he writing to? The, the church at Philippi, which was a province of the Roman uh, government, the Roman uh, Empire. Then we ask ourselves, why is he writing this? What's the purpose uh, of, of why he's writing this? And I think we have a, a screenshot of, of a video that we had watched in some of our small groups. Uh, but, but here's the basic premise of chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, Paul's saying, listen, my past used to be killing Christians. My past is not anything to boast about. My past, I'm actually ashamed of. And, and I'm not taking pride in anything I've done, good or bad. But in, in chapter 3, he says, I'm really, I'm really focused not on what has happened in the past. No, I'm really focused on what can happen in the future. Now, in the church the one thing that God really, really goes over and over and over again to say in Scripture is that he cannot help you in the present if you're holding on to the past. And so one of the things that Paul is going to reiterate throughout this book of, of Philipp, Philippians is he's going to tell the church of Philippi, listen, where you're at right now or where you've been is not, does not hold you hostage to where you need to go. And I would say to you, wherever you're at right now, or where you've been, does not need to hold you hostage to where you need to go, or from where you need to go. Now, how do I know that Paul was really trying to communicate this? Because where was Paul when he was writing this? Well, uh, we have uh, a, a picture or maybe a video to show you where we believe he was. We know he was in Rome when he was writing this. But when he was pinning these words, he was probably in one of these houses down here or around the city center of Rome, near the Roman Forum. He was in a house because they did not want to put him in a main prison because they did not think he did anything wrong. He was under house arrest, but it was not comfortable. He was chained to a Roman guard, and they, every six hours they would, they would change him out for someone new. So they would take six-hour shifts, and someone from the Roman uh, pal Caesar's palace there would come and chain themselves to him to make sure he didn't leave that house, okay? So they didn't have, like, electronic trackers for your feet, okay? So they would just use actual people, okay? Um, so here's, here's the bottom line. Paul is trying to tell us the, the, the premise for why he's writing this book. And the thesis statement of the book of Philippians is in verse number 13. Now, we left off verse number 12 last week. He said, I haven't apprehended. You think I've arrived? No, I haven't arrived. But, but this is what he says in verse 13. Brethren, I count my, not myself to have apprehended. That's restating what he said in verse 12. 
But this one thing, everyone say one thing. One thing. I mean, it's just one thing. Now, when the Apostle Paul says one thing, don't you think we ought to kind of say, oh, he's boiling it down for us. Let's take note of this. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now, uh, we all seem to be pretty good at uh, remembering things that other people do that we didn't like, okay? You know, there's, there's something inside the human mind that's really, really good at remembering when that, you know, remember three years ago when that person cut me off or they said something, you know, it's like, whoa, three years ago, holy cow, you know? Um, are, are you really going back that far? But, but Paul was trying to say, it's not enough just to forget, you have to be focused as well. And so his one thing actually had two parts, and I want to break down these parts today. Paul's one thing was to evaluate earthly influences, but at the same time reaching forth for eternal impact. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, there are two ways to have eternal impact and, and to release earthly influences. I'm going to talk about what that means, but, but let's look at number one, okay? Because we need to reevaluate earthly influences. So number one in your notes there is to reevaluate earthly influences. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, a lot of times I, when I hear the word forget or when I see the word forget in Scripture, I'm immediately thinking, oh yeah, okay, I just need to not remember that. Well, the word forget is different than, than what we would say, just, just try not to remember that. Now, we all have things that we we just cannot unsee, but we saw it, or we, we, something happened, and you're like, I really, really hope I forget that very, very fast. You, anyone have any of those experiences, okay? So we all have moments, and I've shared some of them with you, okay? So you know some of mine, but I will tell you, we all have moments that we want to forget, but this word forget is a little bit different, okay? It's the word to neglect, the Greek word there, to neglect an impression, uh, or to renounce an influence. It literally means to purposefully release something. And, and so what he's saying is, I have chosen, okay, to release the influence of my past. I have chosen to let go of what is holding on to me. The things that carry a lot of energy. The things that you just wish went a different way. The things that when you close your mind and you're trying to relax, or you close your eyes and you, you think in your mind you're trying to relax, and it comes back and it haunts you. Those things. He said, I am not going to allow those things to have an influence over me. And so he says, forget. Now what is he trying to release? What are the two main influences in this book that he's trying to say, I'm forgetting those things, I'm releasing those things, and we've studied one of them, but I want to study the other one as well. He's, he's, he's saying this. These are the two influences he wants to release. Number one, our pride or his pride. And, and, and chapter two is all about humility. We talked about that. It's about releasing the pride. I, I'm not lifting myself up. I'm actually humbling myself before the Lord and saying, God, I need your help in this area. So our pride and then our past. So if, if pride doesn't get you, your past will. And he says there's got to be a way to release that. Now, now you say, how is that even possible? I mean, it's like saying to your kid when, you know, when they get hurt, stop crying. You know, that doesn't ha that's not helpful, okay? They're crying for a reason. And so when, when Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, we can be tempted to say, yeah, okay, thanks. That's not, that's not real helpful because how do you forget? And he's going to actually go on to tell us how. 
okay? And one of the things that, that, that he's going to remind us with, with he's going to start pointing us to Jesus, and he's going to start pointing us to heaven. He's going to start pointing us to the eternal. He's going to point us back to God. Why? Because God purposefully forgets some things to help us to know how we can as well. Now, Isaiah says it this way, and I love this verse. This will be an encouragement to you. He says, I, even I, this is God talking, and he that uh, blotteth out thy transgressions of mine, for mine own sake, not for your sake, God blots out your transgressions for his own sake. Isn't that a wonderful verse? And he says, and will not remember thy sins. You know what this literally translates out in the Hebrew? It literally means that God chooses to release you of your sins if you're willing to confess them to him. And so that's why I'm just a, a huge proponent in, in coming to God every single morning and saying, God, man, my, my heart's open. My, my life, I need you. I'm just humbled before you. Uh, this is what I've done. You saw me do it. You saw me say it. You saw me think it. But I'm just coming before you. How many of you are glad? Man, I don't have to do that to someone else. I can do that to Jesus every single day. It's a beautiful thing. And so if we are open to having a relationship with God, he's committed to not allow what is in our past to influence our present. He releases the influence. You say, how can God forget something? No, no, no. Come back to the definition. He releases. He will not allow what you've done in your past to influence your relationship with him in the present. Is that a wonderful thing? And so, we are made to, to be influenced, to influence, but we have to know what is influencing me. What is going to influence me uh, in, in this way? So there are two truths about influence, okay? Uh, letter A, our focus forms our passions. So what we focus on, he said, he said if, if you're focused on your past, you're going to be, you know, really, really caught up with fear and regret and guilt. But he said, you got to release that past. Why? So you can focus on a new passion. you got to focus on something else. And so he said, our, our focus forms our passion. Look at verse number 14, the first part. He says this. He says, I press toward the mark. Let's say that together. I press toward the mark. You know, a, a lot of times uh, when I was growing up uh, in, in a very structured church environment, I, I missed the mark. And man, I would feel bad about that. And, and, and I, would, I would say, you know, oh, I'll do better next time. And, and every time I missed the mark, I would get more and more and more discouraged. And then I realized what it means to press toward the mark. And I want you to know that, that, that this is not, the, the mark is the word that where we get scope. It's, it's literally the word uh, scopos, Okay. And it means the goal, but it means to, uh, to, to watch carefully. It's something that you're watching carefully with your eye. You're comparing everything else to this mark. And, and the, this is the point of intrigue. This is something that you're into. Like, I don't know what you're into. I don't, I don't know what intrigues you. I, I don't know what, what, has your, what catches your eye. Uh, what, what, what really kind of gets you passionate, right? I, I don't know, but, but I'll tell you something does. And it's generally something that you've chose to focus on. So, so here's what Paul's saying in verse number 14. Is he's saying, I am pressing toward the mark, but, but he's using this scopos to say it is not something 
down here that I'm pressing toward. It is actually I'm pressing upward. You see, my problem growing up and, and even to, to this day is sometimes I, I, I can mistake the, the person next to me as the mark. And sometimes I can mistake that, that a certain benchmark is the mark. Sometimes I think that a, a, a number in, in a bank account is a mark. And, and Paul's saying, no, I am pressing toward a different mark. I am pressing toward a heavenly mark. It's funny in our culture that our passions are all over the map. Some people are passionate about fashion. Some people are passionate about entertainment. Some people are passionate about cars and trucks and all of those things. And none of those things are inherently evil. But sometimes we can get so obsessed with something that it really kind of just takes over. Have you ever seen that? And what's been funny for me is, is what I was passionate about in high school, okay, is now coming back into fashion and, 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 and into focus. And I'm starting to wonder, I mean, what's going on here? Um, for instance, uh, the other day, um, I, I saw uh, someone with a, a little, like a, a little thing on the, and I said, wait a second, what, what is that on your belt? And he's like, oh, it's a beeper. You guys remember these? Remember the pagers? I got one of these in high school, and I felt like I was so legit. Hey, page me. I'll see it's you, and I'll call you back on the payphone by the school. Okay, for all of you under 30, okay, payphone's something you actually put literal money in and make a call, okay? So, so, so this is what I had, okay? And then pagers went to flip phones, they went to smartphones. Wait a second, and now we're back to flip phones and beepers just to look cool? Yeah, it's vintage, man. All right, well, I graduated from vintage. I guess you're going back, that's fine. I saw a guy the other day with a blockbuster hat. And he's like, I was like, man, what is that? I said, do you even know what that is? No. Bro, that's where we used to have to go to get the movie. And if you didn't have money, you had to go to the library, right? And so I guess there's one blockbuster left. One in America, okay? And all they do is sell like retro items. So that's all they do. They don't even sell movies there. Just retro items. Okay? So, but things change. So everyone in this room knows what this N stands for. Why? Because it is what put Blockbuster out of business. Do you know what I mean? Things change. And now we might be passionate about a red N now, but it might be like a green G tomorrow or something else. You know what I mean? It's like things happen so fast. It's so crazy. Like, um, I was wearing cargo pants and carpenter pants in high school. And the other day, I was like, look, I'm like, whoa, 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 carpenter, cargo pants. What, what happened? It went from cargo pants to carpenter pants to skinny jeans back to carpenter pants? Like, who's, who's calling the shots here, you know? And so my, my whole point is that our culture's fickle. One moment, we're going to be passionate about one thing, and the next moment, we're going to be passionate about another. There has to be something more stable than the people around us. There has to be a more stable mark. There has to be a better benchmark that transcends the different generations, that transcends our, our intrigue of the day. There has to be something bigger, something better uh, that, that, is, that, is, that will last. You see, um, the wrong influences can, can, can really take over. They can hijack our emotions. They can hijack our, fo our focus and, and in turn hijack our passion. And so uh, the end of verse 15 says this. We'll get to the beginning in a minute. But it says this, that, 
that if anything be otherwise minded, so if you're focused on other things other than the mark, he said, God shall reveal even this unto you. You know what Paul didn't do? He didn't say, and for all of you who have the wrong mark, let me, let me read the list of people, okay? This is what, no, he said, no, no, no. By the way, you know how you're seeking the right mark? Look to Jesus, not me. You, you know what, what really makes me sad about some of my, my good friends and, and, and siblings who, who really just don't go to church? And it's not that they don't attend an assembly. It's that their focus is a totally different mark than what really matters. And so in, 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 in this verse, he's, he's, he's focusing us on something else. In fact, in Galatians, he said, uh, you did run well. Who did hinder you? Notice he didn't say what did hinder you. He said who? He said, it's got to be someone in your ear talking to you, getting your eye, getting your mind off of the things that are really important. And so it's not, it, it's, it's an important mark. But then he said, I press. I press toward the mark. Now this is remarkable. When I was reading through this, I didn't realize this. And I'd read this verse many times before, but I didn't realize that the word press is the same word that was used for persecution. He's literally imaging back to his past by using this word. And he's saying it means to, fly, to, to be put to flight, to pursue, to persecute, to run after with a weapon. That's a bad day. Okay? To seek after with passion. This is what Paul was doing to Christians. He was coming into church assemblies like this 2,000 years ago. They were meeting in public locations like in this one. And, and he was coming in and, and, and arresting all of them and, and executing them. Not just taking them to jail, he was executing them. Why? Just because they were preaching Jesus. So he, with passion, was persecuting the church of Jesus. And God took that same passion and flipped it so that now he was being persecuted by the same people he used to work with to allow the cause of Christ to go forward. You see, his passion was the same, but his focus, his mark, turned. And now he was pressing and he was passionate for a different reason. Listen, God can come inside you and, and he can work in you. But the choice is, are you going to be the one at work or are you going to allow him to be the one at work? And so here's the key thought from this point. And it is, the choice is often between following Jesus and following our feelings. And only Jesus can bring true and lasting life change. So we are either going to be driven by our passions and our emotions, or we are going to allow the Holy Spirit to guide and to move us in the direction that he would want us to go. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago when, when we, when we uh, talked about that it is God that worketh in me, both to will, to want to, and to do of his good pleasure. You see, if you don't want to do the right thing, you, you have to come back to the God who can put that desire in you. How does that work? Well, letter A, we saw that our focus forms our passions, and it is letter B, our passions that drive our actions. So, so you say, well, wait a second. So Paul's passions changed. Why? His passions changed mainly because his, his actions changed mainly because his passion changed, and his passions changed because he started pressing for a different reason. Look at verse number 13. He said, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. He said, you know how my passions changed? You know how your passions should change? You know how your desires should change? You know how your life should change? 
Start reaching for the things that God asked you to reach out for. Start stretching for the right things. Now the word reaching forth here, and I, I love this uh, in, in this passage because it's a, we'll study in just a minute, but it, it, it's talking about not just reaching physically, but it's talking about reaching emotionally and mentally as well. But, but I truly believe, and I've said this from the very beginning of starting new life, that we will either be, allow our feelings to inform our beliefs, or we will, through truth, uh, believe the right thing and inform our feelings. You know, there's a huge difference. Because you're either moving from feeling to what you believe, or are you, you are moving from the truth, what you believe, toward your feelings. Listen, I would much rather inform my feelings about my beliefs than allow my feelings to be in charge. How many of you know that? Man, when, when, when your emotions just get into it, oh my goodness, it's, it's going to be a, a, a bad story. And so we understand that every desire is not bad, but if the desire is the one driving you, it can get out of control extremely fast. So there's some facts about these emotions that when they drive our passions, some, some things that happen. Well, first of all, they are di- they're always differently than we think. They end differently than we think. Uh, look at verse number 18. Verse number 18 tells us that uh, there are some that walk, and he said, I- I'm weeping when I'm telling you this. So someone else was probably pinning this. We think it was Gaius, uh, who, who, who's his penman. But he, but he said that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, meaning they're against Christ. And he's weeping because he doesn't want to have to out them Uh, And he's burdened for them. But he says this, verse number 19, whose end is destruction. He said, listen, they're passionate about about persecuting the church, about, uh, about, you know, doing all of this wrong. But but he said, it's not going to end the way they think it's going to end. And I will just say, an emotion-driven life, a a feeling-driven life, it never ends like we think it will. But then he goes on to say this. He says, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame and whose mind, who mind earthly things. So let's go back to our chart and understand that, that we're breaking down verse 19. It ends differently than we think. And it, our feelings being in the driver's seat, it, they tend to leave us unfulfilled. If you ate the biggest lunch you could possibly buy, and I know some of you are hungry, so I'm sorry for bringing this up, okay? There's donuts in the back if you'd like some. But if you ate the biggest lunch you could buy, did you know by tomorrow morning you would still be hungry? I don't care how much you ate. Why? Be- because our appetite's always there. In fact, if it goes away, you need to go see the doctor, okay? So, so the reality of our, ap- our that's our physical appetite, but our spiritual appetite's the same way. If we do not fill our lives, our souls, with what God meant us to be filled with, we'll always be kind of wanting more, and that's exactly what happens. Uh, the, their belly's their God. He's not talking physically he's talking spiritually and he said it creates an unrealistic appetite for more I've got to have more if I just have a little bit more of this or if I just do a little bit more of that if I do more and more and more and that's what religion says religion says if you do more you will be better and God says no my son has done everything you need to do just receive him for your goodness to be complete and so we we come to the key thought And that is that ultimately it distracts us from what's most important. If we are too focused on what we want to do, we will neglect what we need to do. And and, and listen, I'm there all the time. My my kryptonite in in my Christian life is focus. And and man, I'm kind of like that squirrel on up, you know. It's just what, what, you know, I'm like always, you know, distracted. But I'll tell you this. 
God can give us a focus that we don't possess in our, in our own, on our own. And, and one of the things that I, I, I love uh, to, to think about is that when I am focused on the right things, everything else comes into play. Everything else comes into focus. Uh, someone once said, uh, anyone can be driven by emotion, but it requires supernatural strength to live a purpose-driven life. I truly believe that when we set our affections, as Paul said, on the things that are above and not on the things that, that are on earth, we can have the power in us to be, as he said later on in that chapter, rooted and grounded in Christ. So how do you have a change of heart? How can you not be so focused on the past? How can you forget the things, release the things that are in the past or your pride or whatever you're focused on and focus on God? I want to I give you a, a real-life illustration of this. And that is, a few years ago, they've stopped doing this now uh, for a few <laughs> legal reasons, but a few years ago, Baylor University started uh, a program where heart transplant patients would, would be able to come back and actually view their old heart. I want you to see this. This uh, is a heart-to-heart -heart program at Baylor where it introduces patients um, to their old heart or native heart where we can actually come back and view the heart and they explain to us exactly why our heart failed. I had dilated cardiomyopathy, which is a hereditary disease that runs in my family. Mine has mold on it. <laughs> you know your heart and that you had a heart transplant and be able to hold your heart, but to compare my heart to someone else's heart, and we all have different experiences on why our heart failed. But isn't it amazing how different they are? I know. It's, it's definitely an amazing experience. How many people can actually say that they've actually held their own heart? It should be about that size. Well, I mean, mine is a congenital issue. It makes the heart transplant more real. You understand the magnitude that you actually have someone else's heart in your body. There's no way to describe how indebted you are right. to the donor, the family, and everything that, uh, that they did to make this possible. Let me tell you what Paul is trying to say in this passage. He's trying to say that your old heart, before you received Jesus as your Savior, it had all the wrong passions. Your, your old heart failed you. So don't go thinking with your old heart. You know why the Bible narrative always talks about the heart as like the deepest part of your mind? In fact, Ezekiel 11:19 says that he'll put in you a new heart, that he's going to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He's, he's gonna give you a new heart. And, and just like those patients held their old physical heart, you see the heart is, is what pumps the blood into uh, the cardiovascular system. It is what keeps you alive. And the heart inside your mind, your spiritual uh, uh, center of your health and your life, it is driving you. And whatever you put inside your heart, in your mind, will drive you to do what God either wants you to do or to live a life that he did not call you to live. And so, we have to be mindful of earthly things. We have to actually take out the old heart and say, wait a second, why does this fail me? Why does this leave me empty? Why does this old heart, why is this not working? And then we have to say, how can I have a true spiritual heart implant? God, put in me a new heart. As David said in, in, in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. God, put a new heart inside of me. Not, not a physical heart, but a spiritual heart to be passionate for the right things. So, so when we pray that, this is, this is what we follow up with. 
we follow up with the right focus. And, 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 and we're not just going to evaluate our earthly influences and how, how they leave us empty, but we are going to then come back to uh, reaching for eternal impact. So number two, we reach for eternal impact. Now, this is kind of a new concept to, to, to some in the room. I understand that. And, and you think, you know, I didn't, I didn't wake up thinking about eternity. And I, you know, certainly uh, don't want to enter eternity right now. None, none of us do. And that's not what Paul's trying to make. The point he's trying to make here in verse number 13 when he says, reaching forth to those things which are before. The, the before is not just immediately before. The word before is, it's, it's, it's continual. Meaning, the before in front of you and the before you can't see. The, whatever's before you, I don't know what's before you. No one does. No one understands how long you have or, 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 or the brevity of life. All of that we understand, but, but sometimes we, we don't understand what it means to reach in the time that we've been given. So here's what the word reach means. When it says reaching, it, it, it's this word to extend beyond to stretch forward. It means to lean further than you ever had before. Um, I think we have a, a, an old video of, of, of a photo finish in, in a race, but this was what Paul was trying to image. The, the racers coming down to the end, and as they're just about to finish, I think you'll notice that, that, that they're, they're pushing, they're pressing toward the mark, and then they lean in. That's what it means to reach. It's to lean in. It, it's literally like this runner who, who won by his fingernails. I mean, he won the race by his fingernails. Good, good thing he didn't cut those, right? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, wow, by a fingernail. That's incredible. Gold metal, you know, you know gold finger, fingernails, right? I mean, this guy reached as far as he could. He didn't care what the pain was. He was reaching. He was reaching. So what are we reaching for? What are, we, what are we leaning in for? What does this mean? Well, eternal impact, reaching for eternal impact must be intentional. It does not happen on an accident. You do not lean in just because it's comfortable. You, you, do, not, you do not reach for these things because it's natural. It must be intentional. And so this is what Paul says in, in verse number 14, the last part of verse 14. He says this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. The high calling. Wait a second. High calling? What do you, what do you mean, Paul? Hi, high calling? I, I don't understand. It's the high calling of Christ Jesus, but are you talking about pastors or, or people who lead, you know, that's a really high calling, right? No. You know what, you know what, you know what the word calling means? I love this. It means an invitation to grow. It literally means the condition for strength. And when I saw the next part, it's the, the, the root word. It's from the root word that literally is for olive tree, a cultivated, uh, mature olive tree. It's also referencing not just an olive tree. This olive tree is 2,000 years old, uh, actually right outside Philippi in Greece. So, so here this is, but it's also a place that I got to go this last fall, uh, and, and it's the Fair Havens in Crete. And, and there's, this, there's this natural bay that no matter how big the storm was, ships could go in there. And actually, Apostle Paul docked a boat right here and stayed here while the storm passed. And God says, listen, I have a higher calling for you. I have a calling that is beyond any storm. 
I, I, I have something that will grow you when everyone else is shrinking. I have something that I can do in you, and it's a higher calling. It's an invitation for growth. And let me just say, but it's an invitation to be intentional about your growth. It's an invitation to, to be intentional about where you're parking, where you're staying, where you're deriving uh, your strength from. And so seeing Jesus as the prize of heaven is the most important thing to see. And pressing toward Jesus and, and his face as the grand prize of eternity is what we're focused on. Why? Because Jesus is the hope of all humanity. And the greatest reminder, here's the key thought, the greatest reminder on earth is that we are not at home yet. We are not home yet. That God is leading us to a greater future. There's a greater place coming, a greater existence. And this is what he says in verse number 20. Verse number 20, we read verses 13 through, through 19, but let's, let's go to verse number 20. He says, for our conversation is what? Let's say it again. Our conversation's what? It's heaven. Now, you say, well, should we be talking about heaven? Yeah, absolutely. But the word conversation's a little bit different than what we would use. It's not a, a, a conversation we're having verbally. The word conversation, it literally means it's, it's, it's the word that where we get politics, Okay. Um, this has been planned for, for six months, but one of our family friends, Congressman Steve Knight, is here, and I don't want to embarrass him, but I, I want you to welcome him, okay? Because we have, a, we have uh, someone who has been a public servant that I really respect and look up to. Uh, but here, he was, he was actually referencing politics, okay? So, so deal with it, you know? I mean, here, po poli politic, so it's where we get that, uh, politilema. And then it says this, a form of government, but it's, it's a citizenship, it's the, it's the root of, of, of this to live in the conduct of a citizen, as a citizen. I don't know if you've ever seen someone be sworn as an American citizen, but it's an incredible event. It's an incredible event. The fact that they are uh, becoming citizens, they are taking on the citizenship role. And this is what he continues to say in verse number 20. So we are citizens of heaven. We are, we are looking toward heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. That the, the parts of us that we just, oh God, please change that. He will. He, he might not change it all at first, but there's a day where he will change everything for good and that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. We are being made into his image, formed into his image, according to the working whereby he is able. Now, I'm not able, you're not able, but he is able, even to do all things unto himself. I love that he ended this chapter uh, talking about our citizenship in heaven because it is what defines us here on earth. And, and, and the good folks at Bible Project kind of put together a little chart, and I love this, because they, they said that our citizenship, Paul's like, hey, there's a lot of things in the past I'm, I'm not proud of. But I am focused on what I can do in the present. Why? Because there's a greater future coming. And it's not sitting on a cloud. Not, we're not just going to be floating around in space. D did you know heaven is not an abstract, mystical place? It is a literal, physical place. And it is somewhere that we could be any moment. And so he's saying, no, the reality is that justice and love and new creation and everything new happens when you see Jesus. That's the prize. That's the goal. We're pushing toward seeing 
Jesus. And when he says this in this passage, I love that, 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 that they're, they're, they're messaging, working together. They're messaging, uh, trying to push toward that inline, line, that, that final line of, of being with Jesus. And so it's intentional. But letter B, I want you to see this, that it's not just intentional. Eternal impact's not just intentional, but it's also incremental. This is why the majority of people get discouraged with, with anything that has to do with religion or the Bible. They get discouraged because they want all the change to happen all at once. I do, don't you? It's frustrating, but it's incremental. Now, now, why do we say this? What, what, are, what are we talking about when, when we say that it's, that it's incremental, that there's something um, that, that has to happen? Well, well, that every citizen of heaven needs a place to be able to make these incremental steps and to have someone else alongside you saying, yeah, we're not home yet. It's okay. I'm not home yet. You're not home yet. I'm not perfect yet. You're not perfect yet. Let's all just take the steps together. Let's all take the steps together. You know what's incredible? Is this place, this church, is that place for many people in this room? That, that we're all just helping each other get to the finish line. Just, help, just one incremental step after the other. Just one little baby step after the other. And, and, and you know what the significance of a place like the property that we were talking about Okay, and, 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 and it's beautiful, man. If, if you can go see it, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to take the whole church out there next Sunday. Uh, not next Sunday, but, but the 23rd at 430. It's in, the, it's in your bulletin. Uh, but, I mean, this is a beautiful piece of, of land to be able to build on. But you know, you know what's more beautiful than the topography out here? You know it's more beautiful than, than the fact that it has all the, you know, the, the different um, utilities and, and then it's a great place to build. You know what's more beautiful than that? To me, it shows the fact that we will have a place that will make an impact for many generations to come, but not just many generations, on eternity. That there's something that we could do that will last forever. Forever. Let me tell you something. Heaven is not just a location you end. It is something that you decide to be a citizen of. You are living on earth because your home is in heaven. And that is how we are making the incremental steps. You see, we are confident of this very thing, Paul said at the very beginning of the book of Philippians. He said that, that the work that he's begun, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, as, as Christians, here's the key thought. We are uh, only able to, to define our lives based on his design. And, and we, when we define our lives by his design, not our desires, everything starts to get a little better because now we don't have to be as good as someone else. Now we can just say, you know what? I'm taking steps. I'm taking steps. I want the guys to come up here. I want to illustrate this, and then we'll be finished. I'm going to have a bunch of guys come up here. I'm going to illustrate this, and I'll give the takeaway when we're finished. Um, come on up. We're, it's, it's, you guys just, just uh, hold out those. When Paul talks about the finish line, okay, when he says reaching forth, when he says the prize, you know what's incredible about the prize? You know what's incredible about the finish line? is he talks about it in plural sense. You say, wait a second, there's only one finish line. It's heaven, it's Jesus. There's only one ultimate finish line. But you know when he said reaching forth, it was continual. So, so he said there's going to be times in your life where it's going it, to be a little bit uncomfortable, 
but, but you're going to, you know, and some of you, uh, in fact, some of, some of the guys up here, I mean, it was probably a little comfortable when you guys got baptized. That was a big step. But, but every one of those finish lines that we cross, that we break through, and we're like, oh, I'm so happy. And then we look and we say, what's this? What do you mean? Come on, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm a Christian. I'm in church. Like, that's awesome. And we're like, yeah, let's celebrate. And, and, and then they're like, but what's this? Well, that's, you know, getting connected in a group and starting to take some other growth steps. What are the other growth steps? You're like, oh, oh, well, you know, worship and giving and, and, and starting to live for Christ. Well, I mean, can I just stay over here and celebrate this for a while? Yeah, absolutely. But at some point, you're going to have to reach forth. You're going to have to break through. And, 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 and sometimes, you know, newsflash, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to be like the athlete in the, in the um, uh, 2012 Olympics in London. And she was going to be qualifying for the, for the marathon. And she had to qualify, you know, 26.2 miles or whatever it is. Obviously, I've never run a marathon, okay? So, but, but however long, you, you had to do it in 45 minutes. And she qualified in 43 minutes and 57 seconds on her hands and knees. And right as, right as the clock was about to go, she reached the finish line. Here's the great thing about growth steps and finish lines. The real, real truth, and this is what religion will never say, is that it doesn't matter how ugly you look when you run, and it doesn't matter how, how the person next to you got to the finish line before you. What matters is that you're reaching forth. You're doing it with God's strength on God's timetable, with God's power. And ultimately, all that matters is you're going for one finish line, and that's not just a place. It's a person called Jesus. And so the ultimate finish line is when we see his face. And that day, when I see his face, thank you guys so much. Let's give them a hand. When I see his face... And I look into his face. I am confident of one thing. Every stumble where I got up, and every wound, and every trial, everything, every disappointment, everything will be worth it when I see Jesus' face. Because the grand prize of eternity is seeing Jesus. But can I tell you something? That the grand prize on earth, the mark we're pushing toward, it's a relationship with him. And so friend, whether you've been to church a lot or a little or somewhere in between, let me just tell you something. The prize is the same. <laughs> the trophy at the end of the race is the same. And it's all about your relationship with Jesus. It's not about measuring up to someone else. It's about focusing on Jesus. So here's the takeaway. And it is this. That everyone is willing to reach for something. But not everyone will reach for something that will last forever. And that is why we do what we do. That is why we push. That is why we have growth groups. That is why we're taking an offering for property. Why? Because we are reaching for something that is forever. And friend, everything on this earth is temporary. But Jesus is forever. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church 
or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Five New Life. Have an amazing day.